2,000 years ago, the supernatural birth of the church on the day of Pentecost was an epic event in church history. The dramatic arrival of the Holy Spirit and the unique manifestation of His coming astonished some, while evoking much debate and controversy in others. Devout men and women from every nation under heaven were there in Jerusalem on that prophetic day. They heard the simple Galileans speak in their own language. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Indeed, what does the day of Pentecost mean? For starters, it means a brand new identity in Christ, as the Holy Spirit now baptizes all believers into the body of Christ. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at the point of your salvation in Christ. But the filling of the Holy Spirit, that's a separate experience. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, thanks for tuning in. Today, Ron explains the difference between being baptized by the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if that sounds a little perplexing, don't worry. Ron is about to clear up any confusion. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on your schedule. Download or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From his teaching series, AD Acts of the Apostles, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, The Supernatural Birth of the Church. What I'm saying is, the part of what this means is that we are part of a new unity. Are we living out that unity in the body of Christ as best as we could? No, we're not, okay? Because not everybody who's baptized in the Holy Spirit is walking by the Spirit, quite frankly, and living by the Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. We live today in kind of a divided America. I, I call it a hyphenated America. You know, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Anglo-Americans, and whatever else you want to hyphenate yourself and create this divided nation of ours. But friends, uh, that may be America, but that's not the church. We are not black Christians, white Christians, yellow Christians, brown Christians, or whatever you want to call yourself. We are Christians. And what unites us, what unites us is the Spirit of God. Now, do we have to work hard at that? Yeah, Paul says, work hard at preserving the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But the best answer today to racism and all that divides us is the Spirit of the living God falling fresh on His people and living out a unity that the world just marvels at and doesn't understand. You're part of that as a believer in Jesus Christ. My question is, are you part of the solution or part of the problem? It all has to do with whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You got the Holy Spirit, but does the Holy Spirit have you? Even controlling your view of other people with other nations, other races, other tribes, other tongues, and seeing them in the beautiful uh, unity of the body of Christ in the Spirit of Christ who lives inside all of us as believers in Christ. It means we have a new identity, a new unity that we're a part of. Thirdly, we possess a greater capacity 
Now I want to go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where the Bible tells us that Jesus said to his disciples, you shall receive power, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Uh, The word is dunamis, and it's kind of where we get our word dynamite. When the Holy Spirit comes, and how did He come again? He indwells believers, resident in you. He baptizes you simultaneously, placing you in the body of Christ. You're part of all this now. And, and, And if you let Him, He'll fill you. He'll empower you. He will now enable you to live the victorious Christian life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens automatically. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not, friends. It depends on our yieldedness, but the power is there. Suppose you got up in the morning and it was time to, you know, fight traffic and go off to work and, you know, you, you, you got in your garage and, and you, started, you started pushing your car out of the garage. You know, you get it out of the garage, you get it turned and you down the driveway and you're partway out the, the street in front of your house and your neighbor walks out and says, what in the world are you doing? Well, I'm going to work. And you just, you know, keep pushing. Right now you're sweating you know, you're just, it's, you're, you're tired, and your neighbor says, listen, I think there's an easier way to this. All you got, you see this key, or, or see a little button you push in your car? Just push that, and boom, boom, you know, the, the Hemi engine, you know, that power under the engine revs up. Just, just sit here, just take your foot, you know, just press on this accelerator. Boom, there you go. That's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. The power is there, but the most frustrated person in the world today is not the unbeliever in Jesus Christ who might be mildly aware that he's apart from Christ. The most frustrated person is the believer in Jesus Christ who now has both the flesh and the spirit in him. Galatians 5 says the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh wars against the spirit. Anybody, you know, can identify with that war going on in them? Say amen. Oh my. Or me, oh my. It's a battle like you've never experienced before. And until you, you learn how to access and activate the power within who is the Holy Spirit, you will live a frustrated, discouraged, despondent Christian life. You, you might even get to the place where you say, I'm done with this. It doesn't work. Why? Because you're trying to push the car. It was never designed to be lived that way. Jesus even told his disciples, hang out in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit comes. If you try to do, you know, this church thing in your own strength and in your own flesh, the implication was you'll fail. You need the enabling resources and power of the Holy Spirit. I always think about this when I'm at an airport. And, you know, sometimes you fly into a big airport and you, you come in on gate two and you're connecting flights in gate 72. You ever been there? And you're like, oh, my. You know, and you grab your bag or your satchel and, you know, I'm still in pretty decent shape. I, I, I can walk the mile and a half to get there. But what I've noticed is they put these moving sidewalks in the airport. They're wonderful. And, you know, you're walking along, okay, exerting your energy, you know, doing that thing against gravity and all that, and you step on that moving sidewalk and you're like, whoa, you know, and you're just kind of, you're gliding along. And you're waving to your friends over there who are dragging their bag and they're sweating and they're exerting strength. And every time I do that, I'm reminded of the spirit-filled life. That's the way it's supposed to be. 
When, when, you, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're walking in the Spirit, you're living by the Spirit, you're filled with the Spirit, or as Jesus said in John chapter 15, abide in me and let my words abide in you because apart from me you can do nothing. When you, when you learn that secret, Christian life is easy. When you try to live it in the flesh, <laughs> you're going to be tired, worn out, struggling, three steps forward, five steps backwards, and about ready to give up, okay? The filling of the Spirit and the power that comes with that is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment decision whereby I say yes to the Holy Spirit and no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. It doesn't happen once like the baptism of the Spirit. It happens many times. And it's possible that right now you're not filled with the Spirit because you're filled with your selfish self and your own agenda. And rather than confessing and repenting of that sin and being filled with the Spirit. So what we have in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, three things happening. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes to be resident in them. He also simultaneously baptizes them in the Spirit, places them in the body of Christ, creating this new entity called the ecclesia. But if you read carefully there in Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 2, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they were spending days in prayer, uh, pouring themselves out before God, emptying themselves of self and their selfish agendas and their selfish ways, and waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when He came, they were an empty vessel to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And boom, the church exploded. I think it was D.L. Moody or somebody like that who says, we have yet to see what God can do through a person, an individual, maybe a collective group of people who are fully sold out and given over to the Holy Spirit. I think we have a glimpse of it, a glimpse of it in Acts chapter 2. But oh, that that would happen today in our lives. You got the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We have all the equipment we need. We've got a vehicle with a high-powered Hemi engine underneath it. But a lot of times we're still trying to push, you know, and exert in the flesh to live the Christian life and to do the work of the church. Let me move on. Number four, you've also and finally been given a new or enhanced ability. The Holy Spirit not only comes to indwell and baptize and fill, but He also distributes gifts, spiritual gifts. And we could talk for you know, weeks about spiritual gifts. Let me just give you a little highlight here. I put them in your notes. There are three central passages of Scripture that deal with spiritual gifts. That's Romans chapter uh, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter chapter 4. There is a list of spiritual gifts in each of those uh, sections of Scripture. And you can compile those, those gifts and as some have done, categorize them. Some are what we call serving gifts. Some are what we call special, and others are sign gifts. So the serving gifts may be the gift of service, the gift of mercy, um, the gift of giving, even the gift of leadership, servant leadership, and some others like that. Um, the special gifts are apostle, prophet, you know, pastor, teacher, evangelist. You know, Paul mentions those in Ephesians. And then... Um, uh, then the sign gifts. The sign gifts have to do with miracles and healing and, yes, speaking in tongues. Brings us full circle to Acts chapter 2. 
What does this mean? These languages. And what does it mean for us today? Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good radio message with Dr. Ron Jones. Something new is happening at Something Good. At somethinggoodradio.org, we just released a brand new streaming platform for Something Good Radio and Something Good Television, or what we're calling SGTV. There you'll also find Something Good Travel, Something Good Courses, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. Watch, listen, and download for free, and when it's convenient for you. That and a lot more is available now at somethinggoodradio.org. And remember, when you send a special gift today, we'll say thank you with a gift of our own, the complete audio download of the series that you're hearing now, AD, Acts of the Apostles. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. And now from Acts chapter 2, let's join Ron for the rest of today's message, The Supernatural Birth of the Church. Now, this is where it can get a little controversial, get a little heated. There's debate in the body of Christ. And let me just say there are good godly people that we'll see in heaven who have a different view of this. But I alluded to my view and our view just, you know, last week or the week before when I talked about the apostolic era and an apostle being defined as someone who... Uh, was there from the beginning of Jesus' ministry and who visually saw the risen Christ. That was the definition. That was the criteria. And during the apostolic era, they spoke with apostolic authority that was confirmed with signs, wonders, and miracles. Uh, We are not in the apostolic era because the apostolic era ended with the death of the apostles. I'm not Apostle Ron. I don't speak with apostolic authority. I speak with biblical authority. Uh, We have what the apostles didn't have that was in process at the time, and that is the complete canon of Scripture. And God would far more rather you and I believe Him because we take Him at His word uh, than we saw some sign or wonder or miracle, okay? And, And we understand that Acts is transitional in that way. So what about these sign gifts? Again, there's debate. There's uh, uh, honest disagreement on this. Um, it's not to say that God can't do, or the question is, does He? Is, is, are we in that time where this is necessary to confirm with signs and wonders and miracles and so forth as, as a common expression in the body of Christ? All of that to say, wherever you are on that, okay, just, just be humble about it, whatever your position is, but do understand this, and I will say this about speaking in tongues. Uh, speaking in tongues in the Bible is always the supernatural ability to communicate a known language not otherwise learned. A known language that is spoken somewhere in the world, okay? Read the book of Acts chapter 2, and that's what it was. It would be like somebody showing up on my front doorstep from, let's say, Paris, France, and he's never taken an English class. I've never taken a French class. He's speaking to me in French. Suddenly, I have the supernatural ability to speak fluently in French and speak to him about the wonderful works of God, okay? That's what was happening in Acts chapter 2, okay? So when people today say, oh, this is for today, let's, let's 
put it under the microscope a little bit. What is it? Is it the known language miracle that we find in Acts chapter 2? Or is it some incomprehensible gibberish that nobody understands, okay? That incomprehensible gibberish, friends, is not biblical. It's not even Pentecostal. It wasn't, it's not the day of Pentecost. You say, well, what is it? Well, you got to ask yourself, is it of the flesh or is it of the spirit? That kind of gibberish, and I don't have time to go into it all, but has its roots in the pagan religions. And I, I be very, very careful of that. Whether you believe the sign gifts are for today or not, that's a good debate to have. But if we're going to have that debate, let's be biblical about it. Speaking in tongues is, is a supernatural work of God about a known language. Most of what's happening in that world today in the body of Christ is not Pentecostal in the Acts 2 sense. So we have to be very, very careful of that. That said, um, I, I will also say about that, there is no such thing in the Bible as a heavenly language. I don't know where that, that rumor got started. I guess it got started in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. How we got from love to heavenly language, I'm not quite sure, other than that Paul, using exaggerated language to try to make the point that love is the greatest, he says, suppose I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And people have taken that saying, oh, there's an angelic language out there. And they go, in some incomprehensible gibberish. Folks, that, that's just really really bad Bible interpretation. That's not what Paul's doing. He's using hyperbole and exaggerated language to make the point love is the greatest. So there is no heavenly language. What is known in the Scriptures and speaking in tongues is a known language spoken somewhere in the world, but miraculously somebody who hasn't had the training in that language is able to speak to somebody about the wonderful works of God in that moment. But here's the bigger question in all of this. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And if you don't, the Bible says you don't belong to God. You're not part of His family. That's Romans chapter 8. And what are you waiting for? God wants to give you not only the gift of the Holy Spirit, but He wants to give you the free gift of eternal life. It's already bought and paid for. And you just come to the cross as a sinner who needs a Savior. Say, I'm still identified with Adam, and I'm living a life of sin and selfishness and darkness and destruction. I was made for something better. Yeah, you were. And that's what the cross is all about. And then if you have the Holy Spirit, does He have you? Can, can you sing, you can have it all, Lord, every part of my world. And those words roll off our lips but do we really mean it? Or is there some area of our life that's not rightly related to Him? You know, the New Testament talks about grieving, quenching, and resisting the Spirit. And it's possible as a Christian to live all your life in one of those states because you're holding on to some pet sin or some attitude or unforgiveness or whatever it is, and you've grieved the Spirit and shut down the flow of His power through your life. And that is just, that's a, boy, that's a huge discussion to have, but I drop that in and say, listen, let's learn from, from Pentecost, our new identity, this unity we're a part of, this increase in 
capacity and let's live that out in a wonderful way and grab hold of the new ability he's given us as spiritual gifts and, and bless the body of Christ with that. I'll leave you with this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding and abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine. Who wants that? I certainly do. Have I got dreams and visions about what my life and ministry could be a part of? Oh, my. But I, I, I want to tap into him who is able to do exceeding and abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine. Then he goes on to say, according to the power that works within us. We'll never get there, friends, apart from the Holy Spirit. We have him. We have the equipment. Question is, does he have us? Are we completely yielded to him? You can have it all, Lord, every part of my world. And when we get there, oh my, strap on your seatbelts because the church then becomes a rocket to the moon. You're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. We're so glad you joined us for today's message, The Supernatural Birth of the Church. Ron, you spoke a little earlier today about a Christian who has grieved, quenched, and resisted the Holy Spirit. For a person like that, there's a war going on between the flesh and the spirit. What's the difference between that person and a person who has never come to faith in Christ in the first place? Because it seems like the behavior between these two people might appear similar in some cases. Brian, that's a great question, and I could go on for quite a while on this one if we had time. Uh, let me start by saying this, because you're right. In some cases, you might not be able to tell much difference in the behavior of those two people. But here's where we really get into what salvation is all about. You know, people can't behave their way into heaven any more than they can misbehave their way into hell. That's because salvation is and has always been about belief and not behavior. So the real difference between these two people that you've described is rooted in belief. And you said it yourself, Brian, the one person has a struggle going on. Uh, we call it a war between the flesh and the spirit. And that person may be caught up in this sin or that sin, and he or she knows it's wrong. Even the Apostle Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I should do. And other times, uh, you know, he, he voiced his struggle with the flesh and the spirit. You see, Paul's struggle was one of behavior, not belief. Now contrast that with what we see in today's culture. Let's take the hardline abortionist or the people who fight so hard for same-sex marriage and the homosexual lifestyle in general. Many of these people, probably most of these people, don't believe they're doing anything wrong. Well, there's that word again, belief. You see, there's no real struggle with them, no war between the flesh and the spirit. They have come to believe that the things for which they are advocating are good and acceptable things. But they call good evil and evil good, which distinguishes them from the Christian who is struggling and knows that he or she is struggling. Is there hope for those who justify their sin against God? Absolutely. But their hope rests in a change in belief, an admission that what they're doing is wrong and that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And Brian, ultimately, that's what keeps a person from receiving the gift of salvation. Not a failure to behave, but a failure to believe. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts from his message, The Supernatural Birth of the Church. 
Ron, what can you tell us about tomorrow's broadcast when you'll be moving ahead in your series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles? Brian, I'm really excited about this next message because it clearly demonstrates what the power of the Holy Spirit can do in the life of someone who submits to the Holy Spirit. And what we have here in the book of Acts chapter 2 is the dawning of the church age and immediately following the miracle of Pentecost, well, we hear the first sermon of this new era. And it's delivered by none other than Peter, who had denied Jesus three times uh, less than two months earlier. This offers great hope to us as believers in Christ. God not only loves us beyond our failures, but he can still use us for his glory in spite of those failures. I'll talk more about this and about the sermon itself tomorrow. Join us then for Something Good as Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, The First Sermon. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.